Hello, and welcome to Connect, Collaborate, Champion, the podcast of the New American Colleges and Universities, a network of private campuses working to educate students for the public good. Our podcast speaks with insightful experts about current and future issues in higher education and examines the impact of higher ed on society. Thank you for joining us. This weekend, many of us will tune into the Super Bowl on Sunday night. And as we watch, we'll enjoy it with traditional game food, like wings, beer, and nachos. Yum. If food is your favorite part of the experience, you might want to save this podcast for the post-game. Today, we talk with Aaron Mansfield, an assistant professor of sport management at Merrimack College in North Andover, Massachusetts. Dr. Mansfield's research examines the connection between sports fandom and its effect on our physical health, especially in regard to the ways it shapes our eating habits. Welcome to the NACU podcast, Aaron. Thank you, Michelle. I really appreciate you having me on. So let's talk a little bit about your sports background first. You are a Bills fan? I am. I'm a big Bills fan, and I was raised in Buffalo. And generally, when you meet people and you tell them you're from Buffalo, they remark on a few things. It's a short list. They often will remark on the snow, or they'll comment on chicken wings, or they'll talk about the Buffalo Bills. In fact, it's probably most often that people remark on the Bills, and they asked if I'm a Bills fan. I was bored. In the early 1990s, which was the Bills' Super Bowl heyday, the Bills went to four straight Super Bowls and lost all four games. And since then, it's really been a rough ride for us Bills fans. And I've certainly ridden the roller coaster of fandom with the Bills, feeling the the agony and the ecstasy and the ride that I've had with the Bills and all the psychological warfare that I've experienced as a fan of this team is really what inspired me to pursue a PhD and go into academia and try to understand what happens in the minds of sports fans. The minds and the bodies, right? So now you are in Massachusetts, um, Patriots territory, and you are working as uh, an assistant professor of sport management at Merrimack College. Any pressure to change your sports alliance or? <laughs> oh, cer- certainly not. You know, I'm, I'm also married into a Patriots family, but Thankfully, they are very understanding. And my wife has actually converted. She is a Bills fan now, oh, I'm proud to say. Nice. <laughs> but the, yeah, the, the rivalry between the Bills and Pats is a great commonality for me with the students where we're able to just banter about our fandom. And I, I really have enjoyed being in Pats country. I've spent a lot of my life up here. And the Pats fans have generally been warm toward me. I'll say I went to the Bills Patriots game this fall and the fans were not so warm. I no. think they were just kind of fed up with with how the team had been performing, but all in all, they've been really good. That's really good. That's really good. For a little bit of background, I also am a transplant. I'm from New Jersey. Um, My husband and my son are Jets fans. And our son, who's now uh, a college freshman, when he was in elementary school, he actually did flip and he went over to the, the Patriots. And then he left the house the first day of middle school after, you know, being a Patriots fan for a few years, he went out to his first day of middle school wearing a Jets t-shirt. And I thought, well, if he doesn't get picked on today, <laughs> he's going to be all right. So uh, he has stayed the course and it's not an easy one. So <laughs> we feel your pain here. It's definitely not. Yeah. Us AFC East people really, we were under the rule of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick for a yes. long time. And it's been 
It's been very nice as a Bills fan to have the fortunes flips, and now the Bills have been winning the AFC East each year. But of course, I'm still feeling the agony with another playoff loss to Patrick. Right. It's just like seeing the same thing year after year. And I know Bills fans, Jets fans, Lions fans now, these long-suffering fan Mm -hmm. bases, we all we have that reference point of knowing what it's like to suffer. Yes. It makes the victories that much sweeter. <laughs> that's that's what I tell myself. So let's talk about your research because you are doing some interesting research on the link between being a sports fan and what that might do to someone's health. How did you become interested in this connection? So we talked about how I was a big Bills fan growing up and I was as committed to my fandom as any kid you'll ever meet. I was wearing a jersey every day. I was watching every game. I was all about it. And I was also super committed to playing sports. I played every sport you could think of. And I was really just a high energy kid bouncing off the walls. And I was obsessed with the idea of someday becoming a professional athlete, but that wasn't in the cards for me. So at some point when my competitive sports career ended, I had to find another outlet for all this energy and this love of physical movement that I had. And that's what led to me becoming a gym rat and a fitness aficionado and someone who's passionate about health. So today in my role as a sports marketing researcher, I feel very very fortunate to be able to combine my loves of fandom and physical health and to explore the intersection between the two. And it was quite fortuitous the way this happened. So I was a doctoral student in 2018. And I was trying to think of what my dissertation subject was going to be. And that year I had the opportunity to attend the NCAA men's basketball final four. And when you go to the final four, you end up staying in the stadium for the full day. So they have one game, which is like two or three hours. Then there's a two or three hour break. And then they have the next game. So we were in there for a long time. And at some point, my wife and I were walking around the concourse and we were looking for some food to eat and we're both pretty health conscious. So we were trying to find something that was somewhat healthy. Didn't have to be super healthy, but somewhat healthy. And we couldn't find anything. And it just struck me as so ironic that we were there watching these athletes who in some ways were the epitome of health. And yet in the stands, we were engaging in some really unhealthy practices and we were sitting down for so long and people were drinking beer and there's all this unhealthy food. And it got me thinking about how fandom could impact our physical health. And it was a light bulb moment for me when I realized that, oh, this could be my dissertation subject. That is really interesting. Was Is this a new area of research or has anyone done work in this area before in terms of linking being a sports fan and impact on one's health? Well, I'm definitely not the first to look into it. So the first thing I did upon returning from the final four was to dive into the literature and try to find everything that had been done on this subject. And I found this fantastic meta-analysis from 2015 that looked at the link between fandom and well-being. And what they concluded was that there's a lot of work on fandom and psychological well-being, and there's a lot of work on fandom and social well-being. And in those two categories, fandom actually stores very well. It seems to improve people's psychological well-being and their social well-being. And I would argue this is largely because of what it does for our relationships helps us meet new people, helps us deepen our relationships with people. And this would seemingly be increasingly important because traditional venues for social connection, like religious institutions, are declining. So people are looking to fill that void, and a lot of times they're finding social capital through fandom. 
But when it comes to fandom and fiscal well-being, the meta-analysis basically said, we know almost nothing. It was like, there's been so little work done on this. And the work that has been done was loosely correlational, meaning you're just looking at, okay, someone's a big sports fan, here's their health status. And you're not controlling for anything else. So those dollars who wrote that meta-analysis basically put a call out there and they were like, who's going to fill this void? This is an area where we need to do more work. And that was music to my ears because I said, okay, there's, you know, there has been some work done, but clearly there's a lot that's not known. So I'm going to try to step up and help fill that void. Nice. So what was the next step after that once you got your subject? Well, the first step was talking to my doctoral advisor and seeing if he thought it was a good idea. His name is Dr. Matt Katz. He's at UMass Amherst and he's still a great collaborator of mine. And he thought it was a good idea. And he helped me with my initial studies. Also, Dr. Nicole Melton at UMass Amherst. She was another collaborator, Elizabeth Delia at UMass. These these are a few of the amazing people. I've collaborated with some really amazing people on this work. So we launched in, we started doing studies. We started looking at, okay, what is the relationship in this culture versus that culture? And for this demographic group versus that demographic group. And we've approached this question from a lot of different angles. We've done quantitative studies, experimental studies. I even did a qualitative study where I sat down with lots of different fans one-on-one and just talked with them about the relationship between their fandom and their physical health as they perceived it. And we've published these works in a number of journals. I think we've published eight studies now on this topic. And there, there are a bunch of other studies that are still in the work. So I'm excited about what we've done so far and what's coming out. And it's really encouraging to me to see the interest that people like you have in this work. What have you found so far? Well, it's not the best news <laughs> for, for for the sports industry. So I'm speaking in generalities here, and there are always exceptions to the rule. But generally speaking, fandom is antithetical to people's physical health, which is to say that it tends to yield negative effects. And Try to think about why. Like, what, what are the factors that could impact the relationship between health and fandom? Well, you have to think of the food culture first. So when you go to a game or you watch a game at home, what foods are typically there? You think of hot dogs and burgers and fries. For me, it's chicken wings and pizza and buffalo. So it's generally not salads and smoothies. You forgot nachos, Aaron. Nachos. Yeah, nachos. <laughs> You know, nachos is, nachos is actually one that we looked at in one of our studies. So I've definitely <laughs> considered nachos. I just, I just forgot, <laughs> forgot to mention it. You, you also think of the alcohol behavior. So a lot of people drink heavily while they're engaging in fandom. You think of, as I alluded earlier, fandom is sedentary. So a lot of times you're sitting down the entire time. You think of the sports industry's close relationship with unhealthy products. They form sponsorship agreements. So there's a lot going on here. But what I've come to believe are the two most important factors are that fandom encourages mindless eating and fandom encourages emotional eating. So mindless eating, this is when we're not paying attention to the food that we're putting in our mouths. And it's really any type of entertainment that would do this. If you're sitting down and you're watching a show on your phone, you're probably engaging in mindless eating. You're not really paying attention to the feel in your mouth and the flavors and the smell and the full experience of the food. And you think of fandom and the food sitting there. And again, as we established, it's usually unhealthy food. And then you're you're just kind of munching on the nachos while you're watching the game. 
you're not really thinking about it, right? You're not really present with the experience. And then emotional eating, this is another one that we just published on recently. And it's so interesting to me to think about this because fandom is a hugely emotional experience. And I can resonate with these people. These are my people because I have been through this. And I, I reflect on the Bills' recent loss to Kansas City. And I think of all the emotions I felt during the game. And a lot of people cope with emotions, particularly negative emotions, by eating. So you think people cope with stress or with sadness or disappointment or anger with food. And then in the context of fandom, they experience all of these things. So fandom can encourage mindless eating, and it can also encourage emotional eating. And I would argue these are the two most salient factors in the negative relationship that we've seen so far in terms of the relationship between fandom and physical health. That's interesting and identifiable. <laughs> Very relatable. Um, you, in one of your studies, I believe that you talked about priming fans to experience specific emotions based on their fandom and then looked at their eating decisions. How did you do that? Yeah. So I need to give a shout out to Yan Wan Chang and Ye Li, who are my two co-authors on this project. They're at the University of Florida and wonderful co-authors. Our paper was just published in Sport Management Review, if people want to look at that. So you can prime fans, you can prime people in general in a number of different ways. You can use videos, you can use text strips, you can recite passages to them. Like you, you can do a number of different things and then you can test to see what emotions they are experiencing by having people fill out surveys. So that's what we did. If I recall correctly, we used recollections from people's fandom. So having them read stories, game stories from losses or wins or games that elicited specific emotions. And what we found was that anger and happiness led fandom to have a more positive relationship with indulgent food consumption. And that sounds confusing. Basically, it means it encouraged people more to engage in indulgent food consumption, whereas hope led to a more negative relationship. So when people were feeling hopeful, they were less likely to choose the indulgent foods. And I believe in this study, we used chocolate cake as the indulgent food. And I think the counter example was either a salad or a very healthy smoothie. So they had the options of chocolate cake or salad or smoothie. And as I said, we were able to test people after we primed them, we used an emotion scale and we were able to see, okay, which emotions are they feeling most strongly? And the correlations were all significant. So we, we knew for a fact, as we differentiated participants, like, okay, some people were feeling happy and some people were feeling sad versus people who were feeling hopeful. And this just reiterates what we're saying about emotional eating as people were feeling strong anger or happiness, they were more likely to choose the chocolate cake. And there was one fan I spoke with, he was a Buffalo Bills fan. And he talked about how he often sets out at the start of a day motivated to eat healthy during the day. He's like, I'm going to make healthy decisions. I'm not going to go for the chicken wings and the pizza and the nachos and all of that. But then he said, when I see the bills lose, when I feel they shouldn't, I lose myself. Yes. He said, I, I let myself give in to these good feelings that the food gives me. And then later I feel guilty about right. that. So he, he is coping with these strong emotional experiences by engaging in unhealthy eating behavior. And that is what we found in a bigger population with this study. Wow, that's really interesting. 
you know, let's talk a little bit about the actual populations that you studied. So we've been talking about football, um, but are there other sports that you've looked at? Is it just US based or also outside of the US? And and any event, you know, we've been talking about food at arenas, but how about like food at a golf course if you're watching the PGA tour? <laughs> yeah. We we've looked at a wide range of cultures. So my work has primarily been in the US and the UK. One of my most frequent co-authors is Yuhei Inoue, who's at Manchester Metropolitan University. And Yuhei has been a trailblazer in this field. In fact, he was the lead author of that meta-analysis that I alluded to earlier. And he, he is in the UK. So a lot of times when we are publishing, I'm collecting data on US fans and he's collecting data on UK fans. And it's so interesting for us to be able to reflect on the commonalities and the differences between the cultures. So we've looked at the US, the UK, and India. Other scholars have done work in Asia. So we haven't gone all over the world, but we've hit some of the biggest areas. In terms of sport differences, I actually have a project that will be published soon regarding differences between sports. And the two most impactful in terms of fans' health are US football and UK football. That's, uh, you know, when I, when I say that to people, typically they say, yeah, I get it. You think of the, the food culture at the US venues and, and the drinking, but in the UK, it's really about the pubs and it's about the alcohol behavior. So these, these two sports tend to have detrimental effects on fans itself. I also have a project that I just selected data for, which you uh, made me think of regarding individual athlete sports. So I collected data on golf and tennis fans. And I'm still doing data analysis right now, so I can't speak to the effects in that regard. But that that's a project that should be published in the next year. And what I, what I would say about golf versus football is I found that when fans connect their fandom to participation in the sport, there are less negative health effects. So I think this is why oh, another thing I found is that older fans have more detrimental effects from their fandom versus younger fans. And my theory is that younger fans are more likely to say, watch basketball and then go out and play basketball. Yes. So they see their fandom as connected to their own engagement in the sport, like I did when I was younger. And I, I would argue that with a sport like golf, that's probably one where people who are following are also oftentimes going out and playing. Yes. Although I've seen a lot of coolers in the carts. <laughs> Yeah, that's. I mean, that's another <laughs> confounding variable is that alcohol is super prevalent at golf tournaments. So I'm curious what we'll find on that study. I mean, now that I think of it, it's the only sport that you play that it's socially acceptable to be drinking beer while you're playing it. Definitely, yeah. It's a, it's a unique <laughs> culture, and when you when you compare solo sport cultures, they vary so much from sport to sport. Like you think of golf, and then you think of tennis, but then think of one like mixed martial arts. I mean, mixed right. martial arts to me, is very connected to participation. Like Usually the people who are most passionate about it are people who engage in it themselves. So there, there are just huge variances between the cultures. How about um, like any gender-based differences? Did you kind of tease out whether men and women are affected differently? Yeah. I, you know, I thought there would be big differences, but there hasn't been anything significant in that regard. Same with race. There hasn't been anything significant. So the, the two biggest demographic differences, one I alluded to, which is old fans versus young fans. And I see this more as 
passive fandom versus active fandom. Again, I think people, younger people in particular, they watch a game and they think, okay, now I'm going to go out and play. And then the other big demographic difference actually relates to fans' perceptions of the team culture. So do they perceive that the team culture is healthy or unhealthy? Like, Do they perceive that it is encouraged to partake in healthy behaviors? Or do they perceive that the team culture discourages partaking in healthy behaviors? So this is a study that I'm doing with Yuhei Inoue and Daniel Locke from Bournemouth University in the UK. And we are looking at why fans have these different perceptions of team culture. But what we found is that it definitely impacts the results. So for highly identified fans, they are driven to be accepted in the social group. They are driven to behave in ways that are concurrent with their social identity as sport fans. And the way that they perceive the healthfulness of the team's culture has a huge effect on their own behavior. It's really interesting. All right. So we obviously have an issue <laughs> that that maybe we can solve. Did you find that in educating people during your study that they had a, a belief like, well, if there were healthier foods available, say at a sports arena, I would choose them, but there's nothing there. So I just have to go with, with what I can find. Yeah. When I, so I also tested people's health consciousness. And when you ask people who identify as health conscious, yes, that's certainly what they say. They want the healthier options, but it should be noted that a lot of sport fans are not health conscious. So they don't, they don't really care if there are salads there. I think What's important here is that it's not a hammer you over the head strategy. I don't think that teams should be saying, okay, we are getting rid of all burgers and nachos this year, and all we're going to have is salads and smoothies. I think there would be absolute <laughs> mutiny yes. among the fans. And I just don't think finger wagging in general works as a motivational strategy for people like, oh, you should be healthier. I don't think that motivates people. So I think employing small tweaks, like maybe offering a few healthier options in addition to what you're already offering and maybe leveraging the fan, uh, the athletes' healthy behavior. So let's say you're going to watch the Chiefs play in the Super Bowl. If the Kansas City Chiefs roll out an ad showing, you know, here's Patrick Mahomes' healthy routine before the game. Like here's here's what Patrick is eating today. Patrick made sure to get eight hours of sleep. I don't know, something like that. Like showing that fans can, fans are driven to emulate, you know, their team culture, their athletes' behavior. If you can highlight the athletes' behavior and try to get the fans to make some connection there, because there have been some fascinating pilot studies where they brought in fans, sports teams brought in fans, and they put them through a health program and they saw really positive health effects from that. The issue is that it doesn't stale. You know, you can't bring in thousands upon thousands of fans and have them receive messages from the team, but you can put out PSAs, you can put out content. So my interest is in how we can leverage the psychological power of fandom and how much people are committed to their fandom to promote physical health. Because as we all know, physical health around the world is a real issue. And we also know that people care a lot about fandom and it affects many areas of their lives. So how can we leverage this fandom and use it for good to promote positive outcomes in people's lives? Any Anything so far, anything you're working on to try to get these messages out to the public or you know to places that could actually affect some change? 
Certainly. Yeah. Well, I'm working on publishing a model right now, which is called the healthy fandom model. And this is one that will, uh, so far my work has all been descriptive, meaning I've tried to understand the relationship. And this will be the first step toward it being prescriptive, meaning not saying I have all the solutions, but here, here is what the data tells us about the situations in which fandom is yielding positive health consequences for people. So let's put this model out there and let's see how teams can use this if they're motivated to do that. And I'm also looking to partner with sports organizations. So definitely if anyone is listening to this and they are connected to an organization, I would love to talk with them because I want to get this into organizations' hands and see if they want to participate in it. You know, if people are interested in participating in these studies, they can also participate. They can get in touch with me through the Merrimack website or through LinkedIn. And as I mentioned, I have a lot of follow-up studies that are going to be published soon. So this work, as I, as I alluded, is kind of in its infancy. And I'm encouraged by everything that has gotten out there. And I'm, I'm very excited to keep promoting this message and see how we can help people through their fandom. So I think putting, putting that model out there will be a good step toward public engagement. Also, getting on media like this, I really appreciate you, Michelle, having me on the podcast. And this is something that I'm trying to do more. You know, academics have this unfortunate reality of a lot of times when you're in the weeds doing research, you don't really step out and publicize the work. And that's something I've always wanted to do is I want this to be research that impacts the real world. So those are the steps that I'm trying to take now. Wonderful. Well, we'll make sure we'll include um, a link to connect with you in the show notes so that um, if anyone wants to connect, they can. Um, thank you so much for your time today. I look forward to following up with you at some point, maybe in the next year or so, and, and see what's uh, what's become of your work, uh, the additional studies, and maybe if we have you know any partners that you're working with to actually put anything in place, that would be really cool too. I, I hope so, Michelle. I, I think that you know, when I tell people about this research, a lot of times the first response is, oh, that's interesting. I've never thought about that before. And I think sports organizations have incredible platforms. And I think that they have the potential to positively impact people's lives. And I'm hopeful that they'll want to participate in this too. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you for listening to Connect, Collaborate, Champion. We want to give a special thank you to our producer, George Drake Jr. To learn more about the NACU campuses, visit nacu.edu.